So, in the last class, we were discussing that we found that the disciple, while approaching his preceptor, the Guru, he asked the same seven pertinent questions, the answer of which is being described in the entire of the Viveka Churamani. We had the preliminary verses where we found that the uh, the qualifications needed for a spiritual aspirant, the qualifications for a spiritual preceptor were described. And now the main discussion starts where the seven questions have been asked to the spiritual preceptor, to the guru, as per the spiritual journey is concerned, as per one spiritual evolution is concerned. So what were those questions as has been indicated in the 49th verse? Ko nama bandha kathamesha agataha Katham Pratishthasya, Katham Vimoksha, Ka Asau Anatma, Parama Ka Atma, Tayo Viveka Katham Etat Uchyatam. So the seven questions. So what is the cause of bondage? That what is bondage? Kathamesha, from where this bondage has arrived? Katham Pratishthasya, in what it is sustained? Katham Vimoksha, how to get rid of it? how to get liberated from it. And then the fifth question was, ka asau anatma, what is the non-self? And parama ka atma, and what is the ultimate self? So these are the seven questions which we found the student asked to the spiritual teacher. In the last class, we started with the fourth question, that how that how one can be liberated from the ignorance, from the bondage. So that was the first question, the fourth question the spiritual teacher took first. Why he took first that question? As in a very short, uh, uh, to highlight the answer in a very short way, we resorted, if you remember, to one of the allegories of Gautam Buddha. Bhagavan Buddha very nicely have uh, described that why it is necessary uh, to first think of liberation, then to ask questions about why we are in this bondage, what's the cost of cause, cause of this ignorance. Before answering these questions, first we must be interested in how to get liberated. And then he says a very nice story that a person was passing through the forest and suddenly one arrow, one arrow came and pierced him. The arrow was poisoned. It was poisoned and it came and pierced him. Now, what is the duty of that person? Will he sit down and just go on pondering who shot the arrow, why he shot the arrow, what poison he has used? If he goes on pondering on all those questions, he is going to die. The first immediate thing he has to do is to get rid of the arrow, apply some antidote, and 
save his life. That's the first thing. So in spiritual journey also that's the first thing that somehow that we have got stuck in this world of phenomenal existence. We come to enjoy this world and in this life, today or tomorrow, at certain point, we all do find that we somehow find no meaning out of it. We have got stuck in it. Like a bee, we came to suck the honey and we find our wings have got stuck in the honey. We find that somehow this world has as if trapped us. The joy, the happiness, everything which we are searching out of it, we get no answer out of it. And then the question is, is there a way out? In some way or other, we all are trying to answer that question. And there stirs the spiritual journey. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, that we are in a journey, in a very mountainous terrain. We are enjoying the scenery beauty, the scenic beauty all around. And suddenly we find we are at the edge of a precipice. That one step ahead you go, it's a deep gorge. We cannot proceed. We are going to die if we just proceed one more. And then that big question comes, what next? So in short, it will be described in details that what is the weight for liberation. Now in short, in few slokas, in the last class we studied, the Guru gave the idea that was the way for liberation. And now the next question which is going to take up is what is Anatma? The thing which we think to be the self is actually not the self. Constantly we are being deluded with the idea that I am this body-mind complex. What is me? This is me. This body, this mind, this is me. That something beyond it is there that never arises in our mind. And to answer this question, we resort to the spiritual uh, teacher, we resort to the scriptures, and the answer which is hidden there, it's not that we have to just believe. After listening to that ans answers, we will find that our, some awareness, a new portal of awareness is opening up. A new way of thinking is opening up. A new paradigm is opening up. And we start questioning our own perception. Are they okay? What I perceive, is it okay? Is that the be all and end all my existence? And that's the question with which this Viveka Churamani is going to answer the fifth question. The Guru is going to answer the disciple the fifth question that what is the non-self? What is Anatma? So in the 72nd verse, we start with it. That in the Vedanta, just to give a, a preliminary idea, the idea is of Panchakosha, the five layers of existence. Most of the places we will find there is a drawing that first is the Annamaya Kosha as if pill after pill the existence is there and behind that the inmost core, the self is sitting there. It's not actually that way. It's not some covering. It's actually seven layers of mistaken awareness that we think ourselves as the body, we think ourselves as the mind, we think ourselves as the vitality. Are they really the my real identity? That's a big question. Because you may say, yes, my body is the, what that constitutes me. The very first question, if you think yeah, that your body is the, you're the be all and end all of your existence. Now suppose it so happened that a person 
meets an accident and his leg has to be amputated does he think that i am just 70% of me because the portion of him has gone you never think even if your hand has been cut off there are so many people you will find that because of accident two hands two legs both all has been cut off but does he feel that a part of me is no more there he still feels i am so this identification with the body whether it is really correct whether i am the body or is it just a position just the way i poses my pen i poses my laptop i poses my mobile phone i poses so many things i poses a house i have a car i in same way i have my body so that's the idea which the guru is now going to explain to his disciple so what is saying that first take this annamaya kosha what it is constituted of in the 72nd verse it is saying majja asti meda palarakta charma tvak avai dhatu bhi evi anvitam pada uru vaksha bhuja prishtha mastakai angai upangai upayuktam etat so just in the way in this in those days whatever the knowledge of anatomy was there with that they are explaining it's a you know the text is of more than 1200 years old so in those days whatever was the idea of the physiology of the anatomy with that they are trying to explain that what this body is it is composed of seven ingredients namely the marrow the majja is the marrow the bone marrow asthi the bones meda fat pala the flesh rakta the blood charma the skin and avai even the ligaments the cuticles the ligaments they also are this a part of this body these are the dhatus these are the ingredients with which this body is constituted it has seven ingredients it has seven parts pada uru vaksha bhuja prishtha mastakai that you have your limbs that's the legs the thighs the chest the arms the back and the head so this these are the various parts and these are the constituents with which your body is constituted in that i have a sense a mystical sense of identity that's being indicated in the 73rd verse what it is saying aham mameti prathitam shariram this body is reputed to be the is the abode of the delusion of what i and mine i think i am the body and it is mine aham mameti prathitam shariram mohaspadam sthulam iti iryate budhai it is designated by the sages as a gross body nabha nabhastvat dahana ambu bhumaya sukshani bhutani bhavanti tani it is made of the five elements what are the five elements as we know in the scriptures it has been indicated that akasha vayu agni apa prithivi the space the air the uh, what you say this akasha vayu agni the fire apa water and prithivi prithivi is the uh, this the solid the earth what actually it means that the and our idea of this entire universe is nothing but the what we perceive through the five senses what you perceive through the five senses that's what your universe is i cannot i can never understand what the real universe is my mind is projected through the senses and it is the mind which is being projected outside that gives the idea of the universe so what are these ideas of akash vayu agni apa prithivi it is a immediate cause for your perception that if you 
close your earplugs. You cannot hear. The space is required for your eardrum to vibrate. So space is the immediate cause for sound. You may say sound doesn't travel in space. And in not that sense, it has been indicated that space is the immediate medium for sound. What's the idea? That you need this for any vibration. You need that space. If you just clog your ears, you cannot hear. So that space is required for the vibration of the eardrum. So akasha is the thing which, which is responsible for hearing. Vayu, that vayu speaks of touch. What actually speaks of? That how we perceive touch. They say that in whenever you are touching, there is a, a, what you say, the bionic movement in the subcutaneous layer. There is a bionic movement. This uh, in the subcutaneous layer, which is perceived as touch. So vayu is immediate cause of touch. Agni, fire of vision, that we need not explain. Then comes this, what you say? Vayu, agni, apa, apa of taste. If your tongue is not salivated, you cannot taste anything. So water for taste. And prithivi, that pollens, unless just see what how we smell, that the flowers and all. The pollens has to enter through your the nose and then only you can smell. That's the prithvi. So that's the idea. These are the five immediate causes for which I can perceive the world. Whatever I'm perceiving. So that way, these are the five elements which has been spoken of as the thing which constitutes your universe. So this nabha is the akasha and this navastvat, dahana, navastvat is the vayu, Dahana is the fire, Ambu is water, Bhuma is the, this, the Prithvi, the land. So these which constitutes my perceptions and the Sukshani, Bhutani, Bhavanti, Tani. So this, uh, what you say, the, this, the sky, air, water, earth are the subtle elements. So this is very interesting. The, what are the subtle elements? What are the gross elements? We think that uh, generally, uh, whenever we read the scriptures by subtle elements, we think that the most probably the atoms are the subtle elements. No. The subtle elements in our scriptures has been spoken of as tanmatras. This word itself, these words are very important. Tanmatra means tatmatra, is tanmatra. Means only that. It's piecemeal perception. Just to say a flower, when I am perceiving a flower, I have an idea. What's the idea for a general person? That the flower is outside there. It has a smell. It has its color. It has a texture. It has a shape. Everything altogether is perceived by the mind. As a whole, the flower is perceived in the mind. But it never happens that way. How the perception happens? It's all piecemeal. Tat matra. This color is perceived in the color perception center. Its shape is perceived in a different uh, perception center. It's not that all the perceptions are happening at the same place. In the brain, there are so many different perception centers. You know that if uh, there is some defect, from the defect we can understand that how the brain works. That some people, whenever they see the digit 7, they will see it red. Whatever may be the color. And now the science has found out that why it happens. That our color perception center and the digit perception center are very near. Just the way you have short circuits in your, any, any, any circuits, 
Here in the brain also the short circuit may happen. Somehow the color perception center has got short circuited with your digit perception center. And it so happened that the red color is, the seven is also always perceived as red, whatever may be the color. So these all speaks of the present day, the anomalies of the brain function actually speaks of the way the brain functions, the brain which is the organ of the mind. So all the perceptions are piecemeal perceptions, very interesting that the color is perceived in one center, the shape is perceived in another center, the smell through the nose is going and perceived in some other center. All these are piecemeal perceptions. But when I see the flower, I see it as a whole. Isn't it very interesting? It's just like when you are watching the movie. In the movie, then the screen, it's only the pictures which are moving, the characters in the form of the pictures which are moving, and their, the sound, whatever dialogues they are, they are delivering, they are coming from the sound box. Their, their, their source is something different, sound box. But when you are watching the movie, you feel it's the character which is speaking. So what has happened? The sound is coming from a different source, entering through your ears, and the picture in the screen is just moving its lip. This too in your brain is synthesized to give you a feeling that person is speaking, isn't it? That's what's happening. So the brain, in the mind, that's the thing constantly is happening. All the piecemeal perceptions, they're synthesized to give a sense of whole. The thing which is outside, which I feel as a whole, I feel as if the flower with the smell, everything is entering into my mind as an integrated unit. And in one place, I'm having all the perceptions. No. So the, you will find the Vedanta is wonderful. It's studied the neurology in a wonderful way that all these piecemeal perceptions tan matra the word itself will speak tat matra piecemeal perceptions these are shukshma they come together to form the sthula bhuta it's a wonderful idea this all the perceptions the ideas of the perceptions are in the mind potentially they are hidden everything is there it's not outside it is all inside when i see the red flower the redness is not outside with that one example, we can try to explain how the perception is happening. The redness is not outside. It's only a particular wavelength of light which falls on your eyes. The function of the light stops there. The light never enters your brain. The moment it touches your eyes, the function of light is over. Now, in the retina, the moment that wavelength touches, it gets converted into some optical nervous current. That optic nerve which is connected to the brain, it is only an optical nervous current of a particular frequency. That is traveling to your brain which is dark. No light is there. If you think yourself sitting in the brain, it is dark. No light goes there. So then where I perceive the color, it's not that the red color is outside that I'm perceiving in the brain. No. The idea of redness is already in your brain. Our brain is not blank. No child is born with a blank mind. It is having all the ideas of perceptions are there. Now what happens when that particular frequency of nervous current goes to the so-called color perception center? It is not perceiving. The color is actually generated. The color is generated and that color is now going and enveloping the flower to give you the idea it is red. So it's a wonderful thing. Our mind is not, is perceiving something. But what I'm seeing is the projection. This world is a projection of the mind. The conscious principle activates the mind and the mind 
is projecting the universe to these five senses to create this wonderful panorama. That's why it is called prapancha, prakrishta rupena pancha. These five perceptions are as if being cooked in a cauldron to create a hodgepodge, which is called this universe. It's wonderful this perception is going on, which we take to be tangibly real, but it is actually a world of virtual reality. Even with the modern science, if you go and study the neurology, it's being now very vividly explained that it's all the thing which we are perceiving is virtual. It's not something tangibly real there. So that's the thing which he has been explained here. So what in the 74th, the same idea, Parash, this Parasparangshai, Militani, see this, all this, uh, what you say, the Shukshma, uh, Bhutas, as perceptions, they are mixing up with one another. Parasparangshai, Militani, Bhutva, Sthulani, Sthula, Sharira, Hetava. All the Sthula Bhutas and the Sthula Sharira. This all is actually because of this conglomeration of these five perceptions. The idea that I have this body, this also is because of the conglomeration of these five perceptions. Whatever I'm seeing outside is also because of the conglomeration of the five perceptions. Matra, Tadiya, Vishaya, Bhavanti, Shabdadaya, Pancha, Sukhaya, Bhaktu. So all this ex experience of pleasure and pain is because of this perception which is virtual. This is the wonderful thing in Vedanta. Just can you think 1200 years they are speaking of something which in the modern science now as the science is advancing those ideas are becoming very clear. That's why Swami Vivekananda again and again in the West he was saying that all the inventions and discoveries of science are welcome. Vedanta is never afraid of them. The more the science is revealed, the signs, the, the discoveries are there, the more the Vedantic truth will shine forth. All the superstitions, wrong understandings, they will fall off. But there is something in the core, the Vedantic core ideas, that will shine forth, giving us the conviction, yes, what they're speaking of is, do have some sense. So that's the idea. So what's this body-mind? So that's the idea, Parash Parangshai Militani. They speak of this Panchikarana. There's all these Panchabhutas are mixing up in hodgepodge. Just see that through ears I'm hearing, uh, through eyes I'm seeing, unless they're synthesized, you can never feel I'm speaking. All these five senses are synthesizing together to create this universe. Our mind is actually a wonderful projector. And the science is actually a very poor imitation of nature. With all our advancement, it is very poor imitation of nature. Why? With all our science and technology at present, we can think of projecting only light and sound, nothing else. But see, our mind is projecting five senses. Constantly it is projecting. This, our sight, our sound, touch, taste, smell. All this five is being projected by the mind. What a wonderful projector it is. And this projection, we have somehow got, what you say, uh, deluded by thinking it to be real. So here comes the importance of the scriptures to say that what you see is not true. This even in the modern science they say, constantly they say that what I am seeing 
has some utilitarian value. But as per the reality is concerned, it's not real. It has a utilitarian value. With that, it serves some purpose in my life. It serves some purpose. Like, uh, just to give a common example, very common example, if you just keep a stick lying, and the same stick, if you just keep it erect, when it is erect, it will look very long. And if you only just lay it down, it looks, no, it is not that long. Why it appears to be very tall when you are erecting the same stick? Because height is a matter of danger. If you have to jump from a height, that may be fatal. So the same stick, which appears to not to be that long when it is lying flat, when you just keep it high, it appears very tall. So these are having some utilitarian value, but it never speaks of reality. Even in those olden days, Shankaracharya says, when I'm looking outside, I'm standing near the ocean, I'm looking at the sky, the sky appears to be touching the ocean. Does it, is it really touching the ocean? In those days, 1,200 years back, these are the examples Shankaracharya is giving. In the very introduction of his, uh, uh, what is the commentary of the Brahma Sutras, that's the example he's giving. That the sky appears to be touching the ocean. But is it touching the ocean? The sky appears to be touching the ground. Is it true? It is just constantly our senses are fooling us. And that's the thing, this delusion, which we are constantly taking as real. So the scripture is here to just show us, to open uh, that awareness. So now what's the fate? Why we should be aware of it? There's a very simple reason. When you're watching a movie, you pay even when we go to the hall, uh, just to, in an IMAX theater, maybe we are watching violence, but we have paid money to see that violence, tragedy, everything is going on. Maybe some uh, pleasurable scenes, something which is not that pleasurable, but why we have paid money and going, uh, just going and seeing that? Because after all, we know that it's not real, it's a projection. I'm sitting, I'm just witnessing, it has not to, it has nothing to do with the real me. It is just a projection, a panorama which is going on, and that's why I can enjoy. The moment I get identified with it, then only the question of joy and sorrow comes. So this identification is the something which Vedanta is saying, that this life, we cannot deny, we have to exist. But what should be your awareness? That we should always be aware of the fact that it is a projection, it is not the reality which we think. We have to pass through our life, but always with that sense of detachment. It's only the detachment which can really give us happiness. Detachment doesn't mean that we have to leave everything and go to the forest, no. Detachment is an attitude. To just before we going to the next verse, to explain that what real detachment is. In Isha Upanishad, there is a line, Tena Tyaktena Bhunjita, enjoy through renunciation. You will say, how can we enjoy through renunciation? Enjoyment means to be totally involved with the world. Yes, be involved with the world, but with a sense of detachment. What's the idea? Just a, a very common example. Suppose a small child is growing up and now there's a need to send him to the child care center. He is now seven months or eight months old. Parents, both the parents are working. So naturally they have to send him to the child care center. So the, for the first time, the child is going to the child care center. So when he's out of his security zone, he's out of his comfort zone. 
the moment the father drops him in the child care center he starts crying or she starts crying he doesn't want to be parted from the parents but the child care center says it's okay it's a process you leave him and go now we find the child cries whenever the father drops him to the child care center now after one month the picture starts changing now the child one month or two months the child now gradually got habituated with the child care center it has developed friends there and it is enjoying the games and other thing there having so many friends now in the evening when the father comes to take him back he doesn't want to go he wants to continue with the game and now he may start he starts crying again so first he was crying when he was dropped now he is crying when the father comes to take him away and then few more days passes and then we find the child is now acclimatized he is not crying when the father drops him he is not crying when the mother comes to pick him up but is he the why what has happened so the child in the process in the few months have gathered this experience that this child care center is just the place is a temporary place for me every day morning father will drop me here evening my parents will come and pick me up this is a temporary place my real place is with my parents but that doesn't mean that the child as this is a temporary place so the child won't be sitting in the corner of the child care center not intermingling with anyone just waiting in the evening when the father comes to take me i won't just waiting no it's playing it's playing it's a enjoying it stay there but there is no sorrow when the father comes and drops the child there is no sorrow when he is taking there is no sorrow what has happened that idea has developed that this i am here when i am as long as i am here i am intermingling with all but this is not something permanent my real place is with my parents so this awareness it took some time so now you will understand that the real enjoyment without any sorrow can happen only when you have that sense of detachment that this is not everything is not permanent i am not going to stay with this through eternity that they say that the moment you try to grab anything then only the suffering comes you know how the monkeys are trapped the monkeys like salt salt rocks so so to trap them what they will do they will uh, the those who want to trap them they will keep some salt rock in the bottom of a pitcher which is transparent glass pitcher in the bottom of it they will keep some rock salt and you know the pitcher has this in the narrow neck then so now you can easily enter your hand through the pitcher the monkey will enter its hand through the pitcher and try to grab the rock salt now once you grab it and try to pull it out with your grip closed you cannot pull it out because it is narrow it's bottleneck it cannot come out so you have to release the only way you have to release and then your hand will easily come out but in the morning when they come back they find the mango all the monkeys are trapped they have inserted their hands and are grabbing the rock salt which they don't want to release and they are trying their best to bring out their hand it's not coming so that's how we all get trapped in this world this nature is a flow everything is flowing as swami ji used to say the nature gives us everything at certain point of time and we get so engrossed with them taking it for granted we forget the same nature which has given me youth education everything however i may try to return 
a certain age will come, everyone will say, it's time for retirement. Because my faculties are going to wane. My energy is going to wane. The old age is bound to come. Disease, death, all are waiting. But then we cannot live. What has happened? We forget that nature gives us everything at a certain point of time, takes away everything at a certain point of time. If I am not willing, and that willingness comes only from that sense of detachment. Yes, I am in the flow. So as long as it is there with me, it's okay. I am with them. But I should have an idea always, that awareness, that the real me is the self, the conscious principle, which is beyond all this panorama. It is the eternal witness. It is the trikal avadita satya. It was, it is, it will be. Nothing affects it. Everything else is just a mere panorama. We can nowadays because of the computer we can understand. In Vedanta they speak of two things that how the ignorance comes because of avarana and vikshepa. Concealment and then making the thing appear as something else. Now in the computer screen we are seeing so many things, the letters, digits, whatever we are, even in a word file, whatever we are writing, what actually are they? The bias voltage is, being, is, passed, is passing through the integrated circuit. The computer has only, this binary is only two words that it's know, zero and one, nothing else. What, there are, these integrated circuits are nothing but various, the gates. You're off the heater, most probably is the heater. Uh, it's, So, uh, these various gates are there, the various gates, what they're doing in a selective way. Sometimes they're allowing the current to pass, sometimes they're obstructing. So when it is obstructed, it is zero, when it is allowing, it is one. So it's only binary, this zero and one. They are, this permutation combination is making possible all your digits, alphabets, whatever you're writing, everything in the screen, in the word file, what you're doing, it's actually the bias voltage which has been avarana. To certain extent, you have concealed it and it has created a wonderful panorama. When you're concealing it in a certain way, it's creating a panorama. And then the bias voltage, which was just a constant voltage, it is now appearing as these colors, uh, what you say, this your digits, alphabets, so many things. Where you read, you get a sentence, but after all, it is just the bias voltage passing through the gate. So this all this integrated circuit is creating this panorama. So that's what Vedanta is saying. The conscious principle is like that bias voltage. It is always there. Passing through the mind, within that mind, all these filtering factors are there. All these notions, ideas, concepts are there. Their potential. The external world just acts as a stimuli. It stimulates to... Uh, allow the consciousness to be filtered in a particular way, enabling the perceptions that's happening. So everything actually is virtual. And what you're seeing is nothing but the self. Just when you're, what you're seeing in the screen is nothing but that bias voltage, which has been filtered in a selective way to create that world of virtual reality. The same way the consciousness alone is being projected as this world is a wonderful spectrum of this world of virtual reality. 
know that, relate to it, but always be aware of that fact. Don't get entangled by it, to it by thinking it to be real. And that entanglement alone will be the cause of suffering. And that's being spoken of again in the 75th. The fate of one who is attached to the sensory world. What? Ya eshu mura vishayeshu baddha raga urupashena sudurdamena ayanti neriyanti adha urdha muchay swakarma dhutena javena nita. It results in the transmigration. How? Those fools who are tied to the sense objects. Ya eshu mura vishayeshu baddha. Those who are entangled to the sense objects. What happens? By the stout cord, as Shankaracharya is very poetic, he is using wonderful allegories, by the stout cord of attachment, Raga Uru Pashena, Sudur Dharmene, Dur Damena. It is very difficult to snap, you cannot tear it off. So for them, what happens? Ayanti Neriyanti. They come and go. They are in this process of transmigration. We believe in transmigration. The life after life. We are born, we die. Again we are born, we die. For what? What's the purpose? We don't know. That's what we are going. Lives after life. This transmigration. Ahayanti, niriyanti, adha urdham. Sometimes in some high evolved beings, sometimes as lower creature, it's going on. Adha urdham uchay. So this is sometimes as a higher evolved creature, sometimes as a lower creature, lower, low, evil, lowly evolved creature. This is going on. So this ayanti niryanti adha urdhamuchai swakarma dutena javena. Because of your actions, it is decided how what how you will be born, and this goes on lives after lives. Shankaracharya have mentioned it as the cycle of avidya kama karma. To explain the entire process of evolution, what is the Vedanta's opinion about it? Yes, they also believe in evolution. Evolution has happened. How the evolution has happened? Why? Because of ignorance. The idea which uh, we find is indicated in the lectures of Swamiji. What's the idea? That the conscious principle got reflected in the body-mind complex. And then the, we got identified with the reflection. And that's the cause of all the biological evolution. To first understand this, let us just give an example. Suppose you are standing in front of a mountain and you are shouting your own name. And you find the echo. Your name is being echoed back. And it gives you a feeling that someone from the mountain is calling you. It's actually you who are calling, but the echo makes you feel that someone is calling you. The same thing is happening it's just the conscious principle is getting reflected in the body-mind complex. Now the conscious principle is eternal. It has no death. It is in the eternal present. It has no past, present, future. It is eternal. Why? As there is no transformation, there can only the question of past and future, present, future comes when there is a transformation. If something is, there is without any transformation, there cannot be any sense of time. So it is as if in the eternal present. And this idea of eternal present, we find even these words in Vedanta are wonderful. They say Purana. Purana doesn't mean old. Pura api navaiva. Ever aging, never old. Pura. It is old. But still it is new. Pura api navaiva is Purana. These words, the etymological meaning of the words itself speaks of the philosophy. That's why nowadays in the West, 
that seeing uh, that studying the sanskrit literature they have started saying that philosophy is nothing but language if you can dive deep into the language you can find the entire philosophy of that culture in the sanskrit the language its words are so important this self is called the purana purusha why it is purana because it is in the eternal present purapi navaiva it never grows old is the same it was it is it will be without any transformation through eternity and that when it is being echoed through the body mind complex now you what happened you are saying the real self is saying i am eternal i am always fulfilled i have no needs that is echoed through the body mind complex the reflection which is on the body mind complex it is echoing from that and now i get identified with that and i start thinking oh, the body mind complex is saying i am eternal i am beyond all needs but i find it's not the truth the body mind complex is bound to disintegrate so now the struggle starts something within me is saying eternal but i don't realize that eternity through the body mind complex to which i am identified i strive i start to enjoy that eternity in the body mind complex even in a small bacteria that's the thing happening you just through a microscope you look uh, in a petri dish first it appears that as if all uh, dust particles are moving randomly but the science teacher to say it is not dust particle they are animate they are animate objects they are not just inanimate what they do they put a drop of nutrient in the center of the petri dish and we find that all those so called randomly moving particles have gathered direction they are moving towards it and instead of nutrient if you give some toxin there you will say they are moving away from it so what has happened even the small microbe behind that the self is there but the self is now being deluded thinks i am that microbe body which is eternal that is constantly hearing that i am eternal now realize that eternity what it do that the body mind complex has to stay it has to be alive so whenever you are giving some nutrient which is favorable for its existence it is drawn towards it if it is toxin it is moving away from it so raga attachment dvesha hatred abhinivesha fear everything comes from our attachment to the body mind complex and then the struggle starts how to keep it alive through eternity now single cell they start conglomerating there will be division of labor so that we are equipped better to fight with nature and at last we get this human highly evolved human body we have some cells for performing our respiration for some for circulation some for digestion why all those division of labor has happened the in a single cell all the function is in the single cell but in the body we find some cells are specialized for certain function some other cells are specialized for some other function so the entire process of evolution this has happened various cells conglomerated they somehow relinquished their individuality to enjoy the individuality as a collective whole just see a wonderful thing and at last in the human body we do realize that this attempt is futile it has originated because of that ignorance i have heard that echo from the body mind complex which is saying that i am eternal and i feel that that eternity has to be realized through the body mind complex which never is never possible body mind complex is a flow however i may try i can never realize that eternity through it i am already eternal as a human we have that capacity to realize that and develop that detachment let the body mind flow 
I am not in a way identified with, I am separate from it. And then our biological evolution stops and we go back from where we started. So that's why the only difference between the idea of evolution in Vedanta and in science is, in science, evolution is a straight line, eternal progress. But in Vedanta, they say, no, we have started from that fulfillment. We go back. It is cycle. We have to go back there. And this going back is the question of spirituality. Just to realize that I'm already fulfilled. I am the self. I just have to detach from this body-mind complex and this ignorance that I can realize the eternity through that. It can never be. It is a flow. I can never realize the eternity through it. I'm already that. I'm already that. I should have that detachment. The moment you're attached to it, the transmigration will continue and we have to go through those, all those ups and downs of lies, the joys and pleasures of life. Sometime we are in the top of ecstasy and then the next moment we are in depression because constantly we are identifying ourselves with what I am not and that's what is happening. And this life becomes a matter of joy if once we know we are eternal then this world can no more in any way make us suffer. Well, an example, we will, uh, with an example, we can try to understand. See, we, we find that we all of us enjoy. Uh, we go to this, uh, what you say, this, uh, this recreation parks and uh, that, uh, what you say, the roller coaster. We all enjoy to be in the roller coaster. But is it something which is really that uh, we are supposed to enjoy? It's, it appears to be such a peril journey. Sometimes it is taking us to the top. It is almost in a very steep angle. It is throwing us down, taking us round in a very, very, uh, what is sharp curvature, making us feel we will as if be uh, thrusted, uh, forced outside because of the centripetal force. And full of thrill, we enjoy that. It gives us a lot of exhilaration. Why we go for that? Though it apparently appears to be full of danger, we know that it has been designed in such a way, it has been designed in such a way that I am not going to die. Though it may appear to be full of perils, but I am not going to die. It has been designed in such a way. And the thing which is supposed to give me fear now gives me thrill enjoyment. So this life is a roller coaster. But we know if we can, we are aware of the fact the real me can never be annihilated, can never die. That this roller coaster, which at present is the cause of our suffering, will become a matter of thrill. Yes, this is a matter of joy. Sometimes we will be up, sometimes we will be down. But after it's a roller coaster, the real me is not going to be affected by it. We just got up into this roller coaster just to enjoy at a certain point. At a certain point, we will come down off it without affecting the real me. But once we get identified, it makes us suffer. Sometimes we find that small children, I still remember in the school uh, with the students when I was, I also got up in a roller coaster, the junior class students, they were with me. I still remember that they got so scared. They just came and just got hold of me fully tight. I just, however I tried to explain, there's nothing to fear. But somehow being uh, from the junior class, they were of tender age. They were extremely scared, but just we find that the senior boys were enjoying. So the moment you have the sense that it is not going to kill me, the same thing which is the matter of your fear can become a matter of your excitement, joy. So that's what Vedanta says. Face the world. Don't run away from it. 
The word fear has two acronyms, F-E-A-R. You can forget everything and run, that can be the fear. Many, most of the people take spirituality as that, forget everything and run. No, it can be face everything and rise, F-E-A-R. Face everything and rise. And that Vedanta gives you that perspective to face everything and rise. So now this, the 75th uh, verse, they will say, if you are attached, then you are a fool. Murha. Ya eshu murha vishayeshu baddha raga urupashena sudurdamena ayanti, just as we say, niryanti adha urdha muchay swakarma dhutena javena nita. Because of your actions, now you are in this birth, again you are in some different birth, and this goes on. This, this, all these births after birth, because of our karma, whatever is our tendencies, the tendencies which are prominent in this life, they will result in a birth, the next birth, and it goes on life after life. This cycle of avidya karma karma, because of ignorance, you just have some desire, the desire results in action, and this cycle goes on life after life. And that's being indicated in the 75th verse. This, and the, the same idea we find is also in the 76th. 76th verse is very interesting. With this, we will end our discussion with the 76th. What's the idea? Shankaracharya is very poetic, Radhi Guru Shankaracharya. He's saying, just in the animal world, you will find the animals just by being attached to one of the senses gets, uh, that becomes the cause of their suffering, that becomes the cause of their death. They, the cause of their death is just attachment to one of the senses. And just imagine the human being who is attached to all the five senses. So what it is saying? Shabdadhivi panchavi eva pancha panchatvam apu swagunena baddha kuranga matanga patanga meena bhringa narah panchavi anchita kim so kuranga matanga patanga meena bhringa there's a five animals kuranga means a deer you know how the deers are trapped by very sweet music when there's a sweet music they get so much enchanted they will as if stand still with their ears, uh, with their ears towards the sound, they will be standing still, and that's the time they can be easily trapped. Someone can just uh, hide themselves, and from behind they can go and easily trap. Otherwise, it's very difficult to trap the deer because it's a very fast runner. But when they hear that sweet music, they as get so enchanted, and that's how just because of the sound that becomes the cause of their death. Kuranga, matanga, elephant. By touch, how to uh, capture and trap an elephant, the male elephant? They do what they do. They will create some trap in the ground. There's some trench. It is covered by some vegetation, and a female elephant will come and touch the male elephant and run in such a way. It has been trained. It will somehow bypass the trench and run. But this male elephant gets so much ensnared by this touch, it wants to follow the shortcut. The female elephant has taken a, what is a detour across the trench, but this male elephant wants to have a shortcut and it will go and fall in the trench. So the touch becomes the cause of being trapped by the elephant, matanga. Patanga, the fire you have seen in the fire, seeing the fire, the insects will come and jump on it. So the patanga, the only the sight becomes the cause of their death. Meena, 
the fish this is the test the bait in the fishing rod with the bait you just you can trap the fish so the mina gets trapped just because of the uh, this test and bringa bringa is the bee because of the smell it will go and sit in the flower the pollens it is drawn by the pollens it sit on the flower and as it cannot come out in time the flower closes and it gets trapped and that becomes the cause of its death so all these five just because of their attachment to one sense they get trapped and that entails sometimes in their death or sometimes they are get enchained so now think of a human being who is trapped ensnared by all the five senses after all all our science technology is nothing but to make keen the enjoyment of the senses nothing else you will find constantly that's what with all our technology with all what we are doing is trying to keep, make keen how to enjoy the senses these five senses and this is how we are being trapped we are being trapped you will say how uh, someone keeps ganesha in the, uh, uh, the what to say the the quran in the feet of ganesha uh, that last year you have seen and there is violence what has happened this all the five senses are being made keen how is it made keen through the social media the social media is there to make your senses more keen and all this he has created what at last violence you will find at last the social media is like the parasite they are feeding on our sense perceptions they are making the money making us full uh, how they have made the senses more keen our sight our sound throughout the day we are uh, just entrapped with them forgetting that this the someone else is enjoying the benefit that this videos we will be uploading in the youtube and you you will get the money for it those uh, say, why because there will be so many advertisements so just see the entire world is actually there to trap us with this five senses nothing else in spiritual sense in the worldly sense so that's the thing here the scripture is warning beware know it it's after all just the panorama it's just the panorama it's just the panorama you have you should have the uh, that awareness awareness is very important in this world no one can be, uh, be the real uh, the cause of my harm if i am strong even during the covid we find somewhere novids they didn't have covid why they say that they had a strong immunity so the more immune you are the external environment is not going to change we find people are shout some sometimes lot of movements are there that all the social medias have to be restricted has to be stopped no it for certain the world has its own way we cannot stop however we may try it will it will the civilization will go on proceeding in its own way we cannot stop it so our challenge is not to try to control the external world we cannot do it let it flow as per its own evolution whether i have developed that immunity or not vedanta in the spiritual sense is trying to give you that immunity nothing else that how to use not to get abused this the social media the internet we can use them or we can abuse them or we can get abused by them 
So how to use them, not to get abused by them. So that's the idea, basic idea behind the Vedanta. And that's why these slokas have been actually uh, written by Shankaracharya to give us that sense of detachment with which we are the one who will be ruling. We are not the one, we will be ruled by that. That very nicely it has been told that the, the mind as our master, if I make the mind my master, it is the most tyrannical master. It will just uh, drag me and kill me. But if I can make the mind my servant, it is the most obedient servant. So it's up to us to make the mind the servant. That's the thing which Vedanta is stressing, which the Vivek Churaman is studying. To make the mind, you change your paradigm. So you be in the world, but you relate to it from a different perspective, from a much broader perspective. You broaden your perspective and build your life on that broadened perspective. So that's to broaden and build. That's the thing. Broaden your perspective and build your life on that broadened perspective. So to broaden and build, that's the goal of this Viveka Churamani. And that we will find will be enunciated in various ways, from various angles, throughout this entire Viveka Churamani. So we will continue with uh, the succeeding slokas to find that how interesting it is, how it opens up a new portal for us to look at the world from a different perspective, from a wider perspective, and to be the uh, ruler of our own, to be the maker of our own destiny, instead of being simply flowing, uh, dragged by our destiny, we become the maker of our destiny that way. And that's what is the goal of the Viveka Churamani, which we will continue uh, again in the next class uh, as we study the succeeding verses. So thank you all. Namaskaras.